Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., we have a very special show today. Yes. We're going to interview Gary Haugen. Yes. He is the founder and director of International Justice Mission. Yeah. They are a 70 going on $80 million organization fighting slavery around the world, ending human trafficking. Unbelievable. And he's been a guy who's been a hero of mine for a really long time. Yeah. But you and I were just talking, and here's the superpower, if you will, of Gary. Yeah. He has a burden. And that phrase was given to me by Andy Stanley, who he interviewed. And in that interview, if you go back and listen to Andy's interview on this podcast, he talked about how his dad would use the phrase of, you know, that's a very good man. That's a very strong man. It's a very good leader. But he does not have a burden. Yeah. And he meant it as kind of a superpower. Yeah. That if you have a burden, you're going to drive in the same direction for a very long period of time. Well, I heard Gary speak at a conference, I'm going to guess, 15 years ago. Uh And he's one of the people who has stuck with me for 15 years because I've heard him since then multiple times and I've heard him talk about the same things in different ways. But every single time, 15 years ago, I started following IJM. I think it was around 15 years ago that I I went to the conference, saw him speak, started following IJM and all the work they've been doing. And it's been miraculous for somebody to be able to Mm. work for that long in one direction, first of all, but to work for that long in one direction in something that can be so heavy, I am in awe of Well, Gary. and you know, you think about, and I mean nothing against this, because I actually think this is a very good thing. Yeah. But many of us will care very much about an issue for a period of time. And yes. then, you know, we have kids and we have, you know, <laughs> yeah. this thing happens. And, and we still, of course, give money to those things. Uh-huh. But to stay in the trenches, yeah. you know, and to not take cabinet positions and not go run for Senate and yeah. not, but just to stay there and say, nope, there's still slaves. Nope, there's still slaves. Nope, there's still slaves. Yeah. It takes a long time for an organization to get to $80 million. Yeah. You have to keep repeating the same thing, and you have to produce serious results yeah. year after year. I mean, I've known Gary for a very long time, and you can sit and talk to him about football because he's a crazy football nut, <laughs> and talk to him about his kids, and he loves that. But at some point, his burden is going to come to the surface. Yeah. And that burden is right now there are slaves and we can do something about it. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's been a superpower of his. I talked to him about the modern day slavery, but also because we are business leaders, I talked to him about the problem of slave labor in our supply chains. Yeah. And so if you have a business, and I used to run a publishing company, we don't do anything overseas right now. We, we sell overseas, but we don't produce any product overseas. When I ran a publishing company, I did. And I printed overseas. Mm -hmm. And the work that I had to do, I was in my mid-20s, and the work that I had to do to make sure that everybody was eating well, sleeping well, getting paid, was extensive. And the lack of trust that I would have with players who were trying to get me to do business with them, you know, I mean, I had to look at images, I had to see things, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's exhausting. And then you can sign that contract and everything can change the next day. And then that government does not enforce laws that are on the books. And there has been no great solution. And it's not that I empathize with large brands who have discovered slave labor in their supply chain. That's a horrible thing. But I do understand... Nobody does that on purpose because no. it's a terrible business I mean, move. Unless they're completely, completely evil. But big corporations right. who are getting called out on this stuff, I would seriously doubt, at least hope, but seriously doubt that they went in going, yes, let's go after slave Yeah, labor. we can save a buck here. Yeah. Even if they are evil. If they're business people, it's a dumb move. Yeah. 
However, it is very difficult to do something about this yeah. for reasons I listed earlier. IJM has the best solution that I know of, mm-hmm. and it's incredibly cost-effective, and they have partnered with organizations like Walmart and Target and several tech companies to be able to go into some of these countries and with the clout of the job-creating machine that is that brand mm-hmm. and the economic powerhouse in that company and the power those companies have to develop, help develop those countries, IJM can go in and say, if you want to keep favor with these people, we're going to put some folks in jail. Yeah. And the yeah. country says, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. Because they're not lawyers. Yeah. And they're not justice lawyers. And they're not slave labor. They don't understand slave labor law. They don't, they don't understand that stuff. And so they need a partner on the ground. Yeah. Gary gets into that. And then at the end of the interview, for those of you who run nonprofits, I actually specifically asked Gary about fundraising mm-hmm. and how do you nuance a message that can be so dark and painful to charge people with hope yeah. and secure investments in hope. And what are some practical tools? And so it's a really wonderful conversation from both. I think it's going to tug at our hearts. I think we're going to understand a little bit better what we can do as practically as business leaders. And I think if you run a nonprofit or anything you do, it's going to help a little bit with our messaging. Yeah. We're going to say this after the interview, IJM.org. You know, just six letters, IJM.org is where you can learn more. If you hear something that Gary's talking about, say, I want to know more about that. IJM.org is where you go. And we'll say a little more when we're done with this conversation. But be inspired. Have your family listen to it and understand what's happening in the world. But here's Gary Haugen with International Justice Mission. Gary, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Well, I read your book and became a hyper fan. It was a funny time in my life because, you know, I'm a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, but was attending the most godless campus in America. And it was at the most godless campus in America that I discovered the problem of human trafficking through a bunch of hippies. And then you, I went to hear you at a church talking about it. It was like the joining of my two worlds. And then I ended up buying cases of your book and handing them out and then was amazed that you and I actually got to become friends. You're talking to 50,000 business owners and business leaders, and I want to get in a second, down to some business stuff. I want to talk about how we keep slave labor out of our supply chains, which is a very difficult challenge that International Justice Mission has done a lot to help with. And then I want to talk about fundraising, because we got a lot of nonprofit leaders, and that's going to get into some sales and marketing and some messaging stuff. But before we get into any of that, help us understand how much slavery is still happening in the world, and even in America, in terms of human trafficking. There are more than 40 million people who are held illegally in slavery in the world today. And at IJM, we're now the world's largest international anti-slavery organization. So the truth is we've met tens of thousands of slaves with names and faces in our world. So that 40 million number, literally, Donald, is more people in slavery now in absolute numbers in our world than in any other time in human history. They say about 11 million people were extracted from Africa in the transatlantic slave trade over 400 years. Wow. It's true that a smaller proportion of human beings are in slavery than ever. That's good news. A smaller proportion of the world economy is driven by slave labor. That's good news. But there are so many more people on the globe than ever. And there is this strange vulnerability in our world to forced labor and human trafficking. 
that most people would have no idea that there are actually more people in slavery today than when Abraham Lincoln was alive or William Wilberforce or Frederick Douglass. So this is a very big challenge for people of any moral conscience and of a concern to sort of uh, live rightly in our world. It's probably an even bigger challenge because when we think of slavery, we do think of William Wilberforce, think of Abraham Lincoln. There was a parliament that you could go after and change their minds and free a bunch of slaves. You know, right. Wilberforce in the British Parliament, Abraham Lincoln in Congress. I would imagine there are still some governments that have institutionalized slavery, even if they're trying to hide it. But I would imagine these days it's mostly because the lack of enforcing existing laws that private business is actually using slaves, which makes your job much more complicated. Is that true? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So for the first time in history, slavery is illegal everywhere in the world. So that's really good news. The problem is that there are places in the world where those laws are just not enforced. I mean, from what I understand, China's building railroads across Africa. A lot of those, they would consider them Chinese slaves building those railroad lines. Is it the problem that governments are looking the other way, or is it because there's corruption in government, or is it because they actually need the slaves, but they don't want to look bad in America's congressional reports or the TIP report? What is actually happening? What are the motivations of these governments? The problem is that you can make more money in your business and lower your labor costs if you force people to work by violence and coercion rather than paying them money. So there's an economic engine incentive behind forced labor. So the way we generally deal with this is we say, hey, that's illegal. You'll go to jail if you do it. So then it depends upon governments vigorously enforcing those laws. Well, the problem that he's evolved is this, is that there are just hundreds of millions of very vulnerable poor people who are very marginalized in their countries politically. And so you can actually enslave them. And because they're so marginalized in society, no one will know or care. In South Asia, for instance, statistically, if you enslave a poor person, which is going to be a low caste person, a marginalized, very poor person, if you enslave them, statistically, you're at greater risk of being struck by lightning than you are of going to jail for doing that. Wow. And that's entirely because those are very marginalized people in society The governments don't really care to protect. And secondly, you're also right, there's corruption involved, right? Because it's so much easier to pay off authorities to not enforce the law against these marginalized populations. So the big picture is that slavery is sort of like the HIV AIDS epidemic, where every country has a problem with it, because like with HIV AIDS, every country in their own community was dealing with the challenge. And likewise, every country, even the United States and all the advanced economies, they also have bits of slavery in the shadows of their economy. But mm -hmm. those 40 million people in slavery around the world globally are in really about 15, 20 countries. In the same way that with HIV AIDS, 70% of HIV transmissions were taking place in a handful of countries in sub-Saharan Africa. So it's a global phenomenon. Everybody has to address it in their community. But if you addressed all the slavery in the United States, the EU and Canada and the UK, you'd still be left with 95% of the problem. And that's simply because there's these huge swaths of the world where those laws are not actually enforced. You're a bunch of lawyers 
And you go in and you actually help these countries enforce the laws and you work with law enforcement to help enforce these laws. You try cases, you create precedents. Is that the dominant work of IJM? Yeah, the first thing is you got to find the slaves. So the first sort of grouping of IJM workers are undercover investigators, right? But I would also emphasize that 95% of our staff, we have about a thousand full-time staff around the world, and 95% of them are working within their own country. So Hmm. they are Ghanaians and Cambodians and Filipinos and so forth. But yes, first they're undercover investigators, then they're secondly the lawyers who take that information and then uh, that the investigators produce, and they work with the authorities to do three things, to rescue the victims of slavery out, to actually go prosecute the slave traffickers, and then provide long-term aftercare. Because if you don't provide really good aftercare to the survivors of slavery, the odds are they're just going to be victimized again. But if you give them great aftercare, 90% or more will never be victimized again. So those are the three things Mm -hmm. we do. But over the long haul, what we do is take years and years of that sort of intelligence about how slavery works and what's not working in the justice system, and we work to actually transform the justice system. So in the Philippines, for instance, in three mega cities there, we've seen child sex trafficking drop from between 75 and 85% as measured by outside evaluators by standing up local law enforcement in its capacity to enforce the law and provide great survivor services. So there, there's a known vaccine for stopping slavery in the world now. It's great law enforcement and great survivor services. And around the world, we help countries put those two things together so they can get rid of slavery. What does the life of a modern slave look like? I mean, what are we really talking about in terms of what these people are actually having to deal with? And I realize it's contextual. Yeah, it is. That a child sex slave is very different than you know, somebody who's been into forced labor making bricks in, in India. Yeah. What does life look like? Yeah, let me give you a couple examples. So I'm, I'm just from coming back from Ghana in West Africa, where there are thousands of kids who are sold into slavery on Lake Volta. It's the largest man-made lake in the world. Hmm. And the typical story for almost all these slave populations is that they are poor, And then somebody comes and tells the family a story about, oh, we can get you a job in this other city, or we can get you an opportunity for school. And so the job of the trafficker is always to separate the child or the young woman or whatever from her family and from her community, from all the things that would otherwise protect them. Then you move them away from all that, and now they're out of any kind of protection. And so these kids in Ghana are then sold to boatmasters and their life, as I could see it right there on the lake, they work 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week on these small boats, just doing every kind of labor related to the casting out of the nets and then bringing in the fish. But the dangerous part is that they have to go underwater to unsnag the nets. And we were just rescuing this kid uh, a few days ago, you know, who uh, was doing this for more than a year and, you know, told the story of his best buddy who was one of these kids in the lake and dove in to unsnag the nets and, of course, never came back up. Mm. So 
horrible stories. They're not fed. They're diseased. They're exhausted. And another story would be just coming back from the Philippines where this is the new cyber sex trafficking where this young girl is put in front of a webcam and for a paying customer in Nashville or in Paris or Moscow, they pay to direct the sexual abuse of that child. So the life of a slave is one of, number one, just terror all the time, because that's Mm -hmm. how the work is being forced out of you. It's one of exhaustion and hurt. But then also it's hopelessness and a sense of you're not a human being. It's this total experience of degradation and humiliation. And there's a reason that it's considered just almost rhetorically, the most atrocious crime to a human being is to enslave them. And we use it as a metaphor for so many things. But for 40 million people in the world, it's not a a metaphor. It's a fact of physical brutality and utter human humiliation. And in 2019, Donald, it's like, this just should not be, and this could end. Yeah. You talked about rescuing some of these young girls, especially at the horrific story we just heard, and you know, helping them recover from this and 90% yeah. success rate not going back. I also want to emphasize that you and I have known each other long enough. Some of these people who are actually putting those girls in front of a webcam, you're putting those guys in jail. You're putting those guys in prison. Oh, 100%. That's the only way to stop it. Uh, I mean, thanks for raising that because I want to be super clear. That's the only thing that stops slavery is people being convinced that if they do it, they'll go to jail. So we work with the authorities to make sure, yes, they're rescued out. Yes, they have long-term aftercare, but the criminals have to go to jail. And that's the really hard work. And that's the really kind of unique work of International Justice Mission is that we just got a conviction in a case in the Philippines that took 16 years for IJM to secure. So Mm. everyone should just know that once IJM is in on this, we are just not ever... Not going to let you go. Yeah. I'll be back with the rest of my conversation with Gary Haugen in just a moment. You can imagine how hard it is for an organization like IJM to sit down and say, how do we talk about this? How do we get people to listen? IJM actually sent their marketing staff to Nashville, Tennessee to attend a StoryBrand live marketing workshop. And then they came back and I just helped spend a day with them, helping them figure this stuff out. And with that new messaging, they were able to raise a lot more money and of course free a lot more slaves, especially child slaves, and really help in the effort to put an end to human trafficking. But it's all done with words. If you think about the tools that Gary has to use in order to put people in prison, in order to raise funds, in order to end slave labor in supply chains, it all has to come from the right words. You just have to say the right words. If you have a burden, if you have a mission, if you have something that is very important to you and you need to get word out, but you're not sure how to word it, you're not sure what the words that you should be using should be, we have a StoryBrand Live marketing workshop. It's a marketing workshop. It's also it's really a messaging workshop that we do cover how to create a sales funnel. It is September 22nd. That's a Sunday. You'll come in to Nashville, say, Sunday afternoon. There's a dessert Sunday night, Monday morning at 9 a.m. We start working on your message. And by Tuesday at 5, not only have we clarified your message, but we've helped you put that message into a sales funnel that you can then create and use to raise awareness about whatever it is that you are burdened 
about. You know, we're all on a mission. I think we have this sense of calling, some of us, to get something done, to help customers who are experiencing problems and to relieve those problems, or to even build a sustainable business that can be generous to organizations like IJM. If you want to grow your mission or you want to grow your business, register for a workshop today. Just go to storybrand.com. I'll see you in the room Monday morning at 9 a.m. in Nashville, Tennessee. Just go to storybrand.com and join us at the StoryBrand Live Marketing Workshop, storybrand.com. Let's talk about as business leaders, as business owners, you got people listening who, and, and for that matter, as consumers, yeah. who have slave labor in our supply chains. Many companies, and every company is serious. Most companies in America doing business in America, most large companies are very serious about getting you know, slave labor out of their supply chains. However, it is a challenge because they're not always in charge of their supply chains and their supply chains change and their supply chains lie to them. And you know, you find out that things are happening that you didn't realize was happening. That's what I understand from their perspective. You guys have a way of helping a company rid their supply chains of slave labor and it's actually incredibly cost-effective. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, this is a game-changer now because the corporate sector is getting highly engaged in this fight. And so this is the thing that's going to, I think, substantially change the dynamics of this struggle. So, for instance, Walmart came to us because they were facing a real challenge of reputational risk because it became clear that there was a lot of forced labor in the fishing supply chain in the South Thailand Sea. Walmart was you know, asking us to help them clean up their supply chain. And of course, there's things we can do, not only because we can help a corporation like that examine what sort of the risks are and how to avoid them, but we also bring some criminal investigative capacity to bear that's special, that isn't what your auditors would bring, and that we can actually find the sources of criminal trafficking that are undermining your corporate standards. The conversation that was really the game changer was to say to them, hey, Walmart, you're bearing all the reputational exposure for this risk of forced labor in your supply chain. But the reason you are bearing that risk is because the government of Thailand isn't really doing all that it could do to seriously enforce these laws. So you have tremendous influence with the Thai government. Why don't we partner and go together to the Thai authorities and say, hey, we love being part of economic development, but we really need you to do a really top-notch job of just enforcing your laws. And here's IJM to work with you to help you do that. So now this is a way for Walmart to be able to work in a sustainable environment in Thailand now. IJM can then help the government actually do a good job enforcing these laws it brings release to those who are in slavery, it measurably reduces the amount of slavery taking place, and it reduces the risk for the corporation, and it's a win-win-win all around. So we're doing a similar project with Target in India, in the apparel industry, with some of the other electronics manufacturers around the world. So in other words, the secret now, Donald, is for corporations to use their influence with governments that are lagging behind in their enforcement and to use their, that is the corporate sector, using their influence to say, hey, 
you need to make this a priority. I know the afflicted populations are tend to be not very important politically, but it matters to us. And so here is IJM, work with them. Let's get slavery out of these supply chains. There's a movement in America to sort of bemoan large corporations. They're certainly, they bring to the table a lot of problems along with the gifts that they bring, including a robust economy and lots of jobs and in society that we enjoy. But if you can actually financially incentivize right behavior globally, that would be the fastest way to solve some of these global problems. And you guys are on the front leading edge of doing that. And there's just not that many evil CEOs out there trying to save a buck and create you know, slave labor in order to do that. Most of these people want to do the right thing. It's just that they're business people. They're not lawyers, and they're not global lawyers. And they've needed a partner like you for a long time. You have a lot of programs at IGM, but boy, I hope this one goes crazy. I really do. I think it is. I was with some business leaders in Southeast Asia also just this last week, and this is absolutely a premium for them. There's a second reason why. So number one, there's consumers who want to know right where their fish sticks are coming from, and that matters for sure. But the other thing that's happening is this. When I'm in those meetings now with corporate heads, it's not just the sort of sustainability officer who's there. It's now the HR person. Because these companies are competing for talent. Yes. And people don't want to go work for an evil company. They won't. Because they've got choices. The right people won't do it. Right. The best and the brightest have choices about where they go to work. So if Walmart doesn't bother to address these things, but Target does, and you're a really uh, smart, capable, young executive, so much more fun and joyful to go work for Target, if that's the case. So there's all three. There's the consumer who cares about it. There's the most of these corporate executives who just want to be good citizens anyways, number two. And number three, now recruiting the best people means you got to do the responsible thing. Specifically on that issue, if somebody needs help from IJM and wants to have an initial conversation, where do they go? Do you have a website specifically for that program? Yeah, just hit us up through the website, just through the contact page, indicating an interest in our supply chain work. IJM.org? Correct. And our uh, team will get back to you with a great conversation about how to work on that together. One final question. We have a lot of people who listen in and they do nonprofit work and they do nonprofit messaging. What have you learned over the years? You're talking about something that's very painful, very ugly, very hard, and there's a some kind of mechanism in the human brain, and I'm even guilty of it. Whenever Sarah McLaughlin comes on my television with her guitar and she shows pictures of sick dogs, I'm diving for the remote control because it's just so hard to watch that stuff. How do you talk about something so difficult and nuance it in such a way that you give people a sense of hope they want to invest in rather than a sense of despair they want to close their ears to? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is trying to pick some of the venues of communication that are more likely to catch people in a moment of more earnest sort of openness of understanding these things, right? And there are those places where people gather, whether it's their churches or it's at school or it's at some other kind of community circumstance or book club or whatever it is. Sometimes it's good to be present in some of those venues where people are actually thinking more more generously or more carefully or more thoughtfully about things, about life and the world, number one. So that's one thing. The other is just as you would know and share with people, it's the power of story. Mm. It's story that gives urgency to facts, right? So if I tell you 40 million people are in slavery in the world, 
that has just about zero urgency. But if I were able to tell you a story of what it's like for that girl in front of a webcam right now, or that little boy who's jumping in the lake and doesn't know if he's coming back up, if I can transport you to that, now it has urgency. But now the question is whether or not you can actually do something about it. So to me, it's a combination of urgency, human urgency, compelling story, but then it has to have a compelling story of hope, how you could actually do something about it. And I find that if you put those two things together in a circumstance in which someone is giving thoughtfulness and generosity even half a chance to bear a little fruit, it's amazing how well people respond. I think that's beautiful. Well, I've heard you talk about this many times. I'm so very grateful to know you. You're one of the heroes walking around these days. And one of the beautiful things is, especially when I was younger and doing stuff at Reed College, there were so many people who were feeling the pain of this yeah. and absolutely did not know what to do about it. And then you came along and gave us something to do. I'm very, very grateful for that. Gary, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. A man with a burden. A hero. I mean, really, yeah. like that phrase gets overused often. But I think he's number one on my list in yeah. terms of modern day Him heroes. Him and John Richmond, right? Yeah, John Richmond, <laughs> yeah, at the State Department. Yeah. You know, one great thing about interacting with somebody like Gary or somebody like John Richmond or somebody like Shannon Sedgwick Davis mm-hmm. is your moral compass gets set a little more accurately. Yes. Yep. Right? Yeah. They're not the sort of people who convict me and make me feel like a horrible person. Yeah. They're the sort of people who go, okay, how do we tweak this a little bit so that we're affecting the moral arc of the universe a little bit more toward justice. Yeah. And we've done that here at StoryBrand, where we think about the middle class and the fact that so many people can't afford college, and we want to help educate those people for a lot less money and a lot less debt. I think a lot of that, the spirit of what we experience has to do with these just ballers of justice yeah, that, yeah. Uh, you know, we watch and we go, I want to be a little more like that. You can't help be changed when you're around him. No. I was so happy when I heard that you were interviewing him because, like I said, honestly, I heard him 15 years ago. I can actually remember what he was wearing. Basically, and this is kind of something, too, that's always inspired me is I came from a ministry background. Like early on, mm-hmm. I worked in the church. And here was somebody who was like, oh, no, I'm using my education and my business to change the world for good and has nothing to do with the church. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, he's f- very good friends yeah, with the church. Yes, yeah, yes, but, yes, yes. But him personally, he but doesn't he's not work a pastor, for a church. He doesn't. Seminary, yeah, he just is. He's using the law. He's using his education. He's using his business connections to make a difference in the world. And that inspired me. Yeah, for me. a church kid, it's kind of eye opening. Yeah. For yeah. somebody who's like, oh, you always, you, you have can push to push the plot forward. Yeah. Without the traditional In whatever route. space that you live. Yeah. You know, if you are working in a gym, if you are working in a school, if you are working in a park, you have the ability to use the knowledge and the skills and the connections to move the world forward in small and gigantic ways. And that was the thing that for me has always stuck about what Gary does and what he taught me 15 years ago. Yeah. The sacrifices we make to set people free, we will never regret. Yeah. We will look back and say, okay, that day was worth it. For sure. If you want to know more, go to IJM.org. And specifically, if you are a part of a church, DJ and I were just talking about that, they do something called Freedom Sunday. And your church can actually do a Freedom Sunday where you're talking about these issues. You're talking about modern-day slaves. And so it's a wonderful thing to educate you, not just your family, but your entire church. Go to IJM.org. If you're thinking about end-of-year giving, 
We'd love for you to think about International Justice Mission. They are dear friends of ours doing amazing work, IJM.org. Well, another terrific episode of yeah. Building the Story Brand Podcast. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to more of Andrew's music on Spotify or on Apple Music. Thank you for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is a terrific way to set slaves free. <laughs>